0: We are. we are, we are, we are Cultivate, 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 Cultivate. We are Cultivate. Hello and welcome to Heal Crime. Where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti. And with me is my sister and co host, Mattis Tangle. Hi. Hello. I have forgotten how to talk, apparently. Off to a great start. Right. It's the, the best way to podcast is to mm. forget how to talk. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I wanted to start with a correction cubby, Uh-oh. cracking it open. I am so sorry to our listener, Carrie. I mispronounced her name as Kelly last week for our listener question. No. I don't know why I said it because it was written as Carrie. So, sorry, Carrie.
1: Sorry, Carrie.
0: That was a that was a me bad. But I hope you still like the answer to your question. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I hope you ask more.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: We get a, s- a second chance at saying. Yeah. Yeah. Right name.
0: Yeah, hers was the one about Samara or Freddy Krueger.
1: Uh, Yeah, it was a good one.
0: It was a good one. All right, this week's topic is a little involved, but not. You'll kind of see once we get into it. But this week, we're going to be discussing the Lowell Mill Girls.
1: Okay. I'm not familiar at all.
0: Okay. I wasn't really either until I started researching. Mill girls.
1: This sounds like child labor issues.
0: Close, but not. Murder
1: in a factory.
0: No. We'll get into it. Okay. Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2021 ThoughtCo article by Robert McNamara. 2017 Atlas Obscura article by Cara... Guillermo? Guillermo? One of those? in 1881 the atlantic article by lucy larkum the american antiquarian society american federation of labor and congress of industrial organizations
1: mm-hmm.
0: bill of rights institute article by edward g lingle 2 pages on the national park service website okay women and the american story new york historical society article and two wikipedia links nice And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly, if you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby, or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today. As you could probably guess by the source material, we're going to be discussing something that resulted in far-reaching political change.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, even to the parks.
0: uh, It's pretty big, Mm -hmm. going to the
1: forest. To the Redwood Forest, potentially?
0: I don't know. It involves the Lorax. Apparently, he speaks for the trees.
1: This land is our land, so. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. In the Lorax land.
0: But in order to get there, we need to go back to the 1830s and the 1840s.
1: Great. When business was awesome.
0: The best. When business was the best of times and the better of times. And also just the worst.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just the absolute worst.
0: You're not run. <laughs>
1: Want to work somewhere and lose your jaw? Sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. 1800s. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Travel back in time with us. Sit for a spell. See what happens. (laughs) The Industrial Revolution brought forth great strides in improving processes in both food and the production of goods. It also changed the workforce drastically, with thousands of women all over the country flocking to cities to find work outside the home to better themselves. Uh Uh-oh. What? Not that. One of the largest textile communities by far was built in 1821 in Lowell, Massachusetts by a company of men from the Boston Manufacturing Company looking for a place to build water-powered cotton mills. Okay, that makes sense. The town, which was built along the Merrimack River, was named after Mr. Francis Cabot Lowell who made improvements to the power loom thanks to master mechanic Paul Moody and originated the cotton cloth manufacture that became the standard across the country. Wow. All right. Kind of a big deal. Just nothing to sneeze at, you know. His goal was to create a work environment that was not only profitable, but also would be suitable for the hiring of women following the demand for cloth in the War of 1812. I don't know why, but
1: for some reason, I was just like, he wanted to make the workplace suitable. You know, naps, maternity leave.
0: (laughs) Pumping rooms. rooms. (laughs) Before
1: pumps existed.
0: (laughs) And pens, big pens for women. Right.
1: Those big ones with, you know, the larger point because we can't write
0: good. (laughs) And the soft silicone bit at the bottom for our delicate hands. Right. And the cheetah print,
1: you know. Because we're catty.
0: (laughs) Because we're ladies, and ladies love animal print. Duh. It's true. And pink. The first, the Merrimack Mills, opened its doors in 1823, and the town of Lowell itself was incorporated just a few years later in 1826. Dang. Yeah, it moved fast. So it was
1: bustling enough to create a town.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, cool. Ten years later in 1836... A city government was put into place, and by 1841, the city was home to 12 manufacturing companies that employ between 13 and 14 thousand workers. It took them 10 years to make a government.
1: I guess why? <laughs> I mean, like their own, <laughs> was like it just like
0: the Wild West with one mill. <laughs> the mill was the sheriff. <laughs> I think it was more like by setting up, you know, like. A mayor and like the town politics well, right. and like, and, took but
1: him ten years? I don't know. I don't That's,
0: know how long it took him to set up governments. And that the sounds 1800s. slow. 1800s. I'm just reporting what I read online, man. You know, <laughs> I don't like it. And it doesn't make no <laughs> sense. It's the first red flag. Took
1: too long. It took too long. It took, it too, t- long. It took too long. Well, you don't have a parade. You have
0: ten years until you have a parade. <laughs> it took too long. Oh you know, they ladybug days? What's wrong with you? <laughs> at the time, the companies were netting their owners between thirteen to fourteen million dollars a year, which today would be between four hundred and fifty-one to four hundred and eighty-six million. Yep, a lot. That's nothing to sneeze at. Mm-mm. The population of the mill town jumped from six thousand in eighteen thirty. To 36,000 in 1850, making it the second largest population in Massachusetts behind Boston. Damn. Yeah. Did it take them 20 years to improve the roads? (laughs) Where we're going, we don't need
1: roads. (laughs) They haven't erected like a water tower yet? (laughs) No. It's
0: just a bunch of, it's a system of buckets from the river. (laughs) It's just buckets. (laughs) Drinking river. Factory River. It's just like a a clothesline (laughs) full of buckets. (laughs) Mr. Lowell spent a lot of time thinking of ways to make the lives of these women who left their families from as far away as the Midwest as comfortable as possible. He set out to have boarding houses built to provide the girls with the types of comforts that they would have enjoyed at home amongst their family. Okay. The boarding houses would be rented out to matrons that were vetted for respectability to ensure they would provide moral and adequate care for the women. So ma'ams, not madams. (laughs) Pretty much.
1: (laughs) I really don't want this to be a whore house. Please don't make it a whore house.
0: Yeah. They tended to be widows of like respectable men. Got it. We all know though, pillars of society, pillars of the community really weren't that great. Yeah, so. real salt of the earth, people. Mm-hmm. The women were also expected to attend Sunday services each week. You know.
1: Okay, so no religious freedom, got it. Correct. Kind of par for the course for the time.
0: Mm-hmm. This all sounds wonderful, and like we're off to a great start, right? I mean, places for them to live. I mean, this is like the
1: beginning of a Disney movie before like the aliens invade. Or, like, we get too complacent and the androids take over. (laughs) We're, like, making our lives
0: easier. I love how you just jumped straight to the future instead of just being, like, we're going (laughs) to stay here in the 1800s. Nope. Nope. Because I don't
1: don't know, like, what that would equate to. (laughs) It, It would be something really disastrous, like, Equality, <laughs> voting rights,
0: <laughs> all the education things. for
1: women. I mean, what are we going to let them read now?
0: That's crazy talk, Maddie. <laughs> Too bad that Mister Lowell died in 1817 before he was able to see any of this brought to life. Awesome! So it was
1: a whorehouse, <laughs> and they were madams.
0: <laughs> no. The only aspect of Mr. Lowell that lived on in Massachusetts was simply his name and his idea to have each process of cotton production done under one roof, unlike in the UK, where weaving, spinning, and the production of cloth were all done in separate factories.
1: So his plan
0: was to have it like all in one tall building. Which would make sense to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: But I mean, in the UK, logistically just because they've been there longer and had no space
0: Yeah. Sense. Mr. Lowell's plan, which as I mentioned, became the standard across the United States, involved raw cotton being brought in from a picker to the lowest floor of the mill before it would ascend through the different levels from carting to spinning, then dressing before heading to the top floor where it was woven into cloth in the weaving room.
1: It was it dropped down like Rapunzel with her hair? <laughs> I don't know how it
0: made its way back down. I hope it was a gum later.
1: <laughs> Could you imagine?
0: It's got one of those like little slides that you see in the old buildings for like construction sites, the like right. yellow slides. yeah, yeah, here come the shirts. Wee
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh it's like those Have you seen those videos of like the people who do laundry in the hotel rooms in the and, and they like open the chute and they just get hit with like all the sheets. It's like 50 pounds of sheets that just like knock them out. And they're dirty.
0: Like, come on, man. No, thanks. It's a bad day. It's a bad day. In the early 1820s, young women aged 15 to 35 from all over the country, although primarily New England farms and villages, moved to Lowell. These women worked for one of two reasons. To earn money to send back home to their families, or to enjoy financial and intellectual freedom.
1: Uh-oh. The second one leads to Satanism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and witchcraft.
0: And matamizing.
1: Yep, So much madamizing.
0: It's just a, totally a word that I just made up.
1: Just a bunch of thornbacks ready to hit the ground. <laughs> <laughs> running. <laughs>
0: Like a bunch of Bowsers just, like, (laughs) storming the castle. They they wove their own jackets and (laughs) thornbacks with a rose on it. Try to pluck this. That's what it says on the bottom. Underneath (laughs) the rose. That doesn't mean this freedom didn't come with a cost. Many of these women had fled their rural lives to work in the cities. While at home, they would have been not only in charge of sewing, knitting, and weaving, they would also have to manage the household, cook, Mm -hmm. do chores, manage the finances, and also raise children.
1: Yep, and have babies.
0: Yep. Any work they did at home wouldn't guarantee that the wages they earned would stay in their own pockets. As long as they were members of a household led by a patriarch, the money would go to the family, whether they wanted it to or not. Many of the women that worked at these mills enjoyed very little downtime outside of their jobs, during which they worked 12 to 14 hour days. But in that downtime, they took part in such activities as swapping books by celebrated authors with fellow women. Mm -hmm. They attended lectures and spent quality time learning from their fellow mill sisters in the dormitories where many of them lived. I really
1: hope they had potlucks during their book clubs.
0: I just love that they have book clubs. Like, I know. It's just adorable.
1: But if you think about it, like there's, it's not like like now we'd have like little watch parties and stuff. Maybe a book club still, but yeah. it wouldn't quite be the same. Yeah. So it makes sense. <laughs> it's Netflix thing.
0: Yeah, they didn't have a lot of Hulu and Hangout parties. Mm-hmm. The boarding houses were cramped, with up to four to six girls living in a room, each sleeping with another woman in a double bed. Ew. Yeah. Two to three beds in this room.
1: Well, at least they got a double bed.
0: Yeah. They were expected to adhere to the enforced curfews and a strict code of conduct, including no men. No men allowed inside the boarding house. Okay. As I said, boarding houses were run by either a matron or a husband and wife, in some instances. A okay. typical boarding house had eight units, and 20 to 40 women lived in each unit. Dang. The keeper provided the women with three meals a day, and they would dine together in a common room where they would also gather together during their free time.
1: So it's kind of like a hostel.
0: Yeah. Okay. Work days would begin at 5 a.m. on summer mornings or Mm -hmm. daylight in the winter. So the the mills actually had like a bell tower, and the bells would ring at 4.30 in the morning, signaling them to wake up. You know what they just could have used instead? What? Morning doves.
1: (laughs) Uh, uh, uh. (laughs) Those bastards will wake you up at 3.30. Then they lost all their shoes. You're supposed to let me know when the sun's up, idiot. (laughs) Go back. Go back to sleep, you stupid bird.
0: We're an anti-bird podcast. This
1: is an anti-bird podcast. Especially morning doves. They
0: can suck it. Yeah. A half hour break was allowed between 7 and 8 a.m. for breakfast. Lunch was allowed at noon for 30 to 45 minutes. Ooh, up to 45. Mm Mm-hmm. And the day would end at 7.30 p.m., allowing only a few hours of leisure time, as all were expected to be in bed by 10 p.m., which is when it was lights out in the dorms.
1: I mean, that makes sense, especially if you're waking up at 4.30. Yeah. You really don't want to be up
0: past 10. hmm
1: If you can, working a yeah, 14-hour
0: day. Exactly. Those who worked by the week could expect a salary of $2 a week, or roughly $70 today, with the exception of the price of boarding. Weavers, who were paid per piece, could make much more, especially if they did double or triple work. So let's exploit
1: that and make sure their rent is much higher for the same
0: thing. The cost of boarding was a dollar twenty-five a week, or roughly forty-three dollars today. And they made two dollars a week, mm-hmm. which at the time was considered extremely low. Additionally, the wages at Lowell were considered higher than other textile cities in the country. So one thing you have to think about. Not that I'm saying it's great what they're making, but their rent does cover the cost of the three meals that they're provided each day. So they're not having to feed themselves with their extra money. They're able to use that for whatever they want.
1: Right. But, but at still. at the same time, yeah, especially if they're sending money home. Yeah. They would have to send all of the remainder
0: home. Yeah. And there's probably a
1: price to send that sending that
0: money. Well, I mean, postage wasn't near what it is today. But yes, there'd probably be some sort of price involved. gotta pay for those ponies. Mm -hmm.
1: Those those horsepowers don't pay for themselves. Mm-mm. Mm-mm.
0: Women would be hired by yearly contracts, with most moving on after four years. New hires would either be tasked with performing random tasks as needed, or were assigned to work alongside a more experienced woman in order to be trained. Nice. So... Kind of
1: pseudo-apprenticeships.
0: hmm Each room held around 80 women working at the machines, with two male overseers ensuring they performed their jobs. Gross. And yep. also
1: sounds really hot.
0: Yeah. One worker stated that the noise of the machines when they were in operation was, quote, something frightful and infernal, end quote. And yep. the windows were often kept shut, even in the stifling heat of summer. To ensure the quality of the threads weren't compromised.
1: Yeah, heaven forbid you ever hear or feel again.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Not to mention the air quality was poor, considering it was full of particles of cloth and thread.
1: Yeah, they wouldn't be wearing headphones and masks. No. At the time, they'd be raw dogging the, the cotton. Yeah, no kidding. Gross.
0: Not all women chose to work weekly. Some only worked in the winter others only in the summer to pay for their schooling. Many of the women would work Monday through Friday and half a day on Saturday, with Sunday off to honor the Sabbath.
1: Well, yeah, that makes sense. If they were supposed to go to church for their job, Mm -hmm. their job would have to give them time off to go to church. (laughs) Yeah, the
0: factories were closed on Sundays.
1: Do you know if, I mean, they did stuff on Wednesdays like they sometimes do in modern times? Like, when did that start?
0: I don't think so. I think this was, I can't remember what religion this town was, but they were only closed on Sundays and they did half days on Saturdays. Okay. Many of the mill girls worked nine to ten months out of the year, using parts of the summer to go home to visit their families. And as you can imagine, their work didn't allow for much socialization outside of the factory, so a majority of the mill girls stayed single.
1: For life. For life. Hopefully. I kind of hope that they, like, some of them got together. Oh.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I know some of them, when they came to the factories, they did have, they did come with families, which I'll kind of get to you later down. Okay. Schooling and further education of any kind, although an interest that Mr. Lowell's family wished to pursue to better the young town, never really came to fruition. The only exception was the building of a common school for the children of the mill workers, children who at times would also find themselves employed at the mills, replacing spools and bobbins on the spinning frames.
1: That is a tough job for tiny hands would benefit, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially the bobbins.
0: The women would have only been able to attend night classes, which would have been difficult given their schedules. Whatever learning they did outside of work had to be paid for separately on their own time. Many of them would form reading circles to enjoy poetry. Cute.
1: I, I hope they had, like, picnics and stuff.
0: I hope so, too. Because, I mean, yeah, they didn't have a ton of time off, but, I mean, they had a half day on Saturday. And you're really not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath, so they would be able to read.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: talk, I'm assuming.
1: <laughs> do you know we I, I really hope they had, like, just a ton of cats <laughs> at these houses <laughs> so that they could, like, read with their cats on Sundays. Just a bunch of feral cats that hang out.
0: One of the boarding rooms is just cats. Yeah.
1: It's 80 cats.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> that they release at night. <laughs>
0: so you say sticks women to a room, and there's also a cat for each of you. So there's... there's
1: like... <laughs> just a litter
0: Mm -hmm. any child under the age of 13 that worked at the mills was required to attend school three months a year and parents were advised to not send any child to work at all especially those younger than 13 at least in lowell child labor was rarely if ever used that's good unlike in the uk where it was like pretty Mm -hmm. much the norm
1: or like anywhere else i mean you were you were literally birthed to work on the farm
0: mhm
1: like they made you to work mm-hmm. <laughs> as a
0: child yeah
1: so it's really nice that they would recommend that you don't cuz i bet it was a dangerous job
0: mhm one woman named Lucy Larcom worked as a doffer of bobbins at the age of 12 at the start of her mill work and quote, hated the confinement noise and lint filled air and regretted the time lost to education, end quote. Hmm. One of the women who changed everything was named Sarah Bagley. Sarah George Bagley was born April 19th, 1806, in Candia, New Hampshire, to Nathan and Rhoda Witham Bagley, who both came from large New England families. Sarah had three siblings, Thomas, Henry, and Mary Jane, and I'm not sure where she fell in the birth order. Okay. Sarah was 31 years old when she moved to Lowell in 1837, leaving her family in rural New Hampshire with the hopes of earning money to send back to them to ease their financial hardships, especially regarding the care of her ill father.
1: Oh, okay, so her nuclear family, she didn't have her own.
0: She did not have her own. We're back. Sarah was employed as a weaver at the Hamilton Manufacturing Company, And during her time in Lowell, she embraced the culture of the thriving textile community. In 1840, at the age of 34, she published a short essay in the Lowell Offering titled Pleasures of Factory Life. Okay. Interesting. It's so hot. The Lowell Offering was a monthly magazine that first started mass production in April of 1841 that was largely written and edited by the Mill Girls themselves.
1: I'm sorry, they made
0: their own zine. They made their own zine. They made their own zine. (laughs) It was first started in October of 1840 by Reverend Abel Charles Thomas of the First Universalist Church. As its popularity grew, it moved to mass production the following year. It sold for just over six cents a copy, or around $2 today, and continued until four years later in 1845 when it was discontinued for reasons that will later become clear.
1: Uh Uh-oh. It was a zine, and they didn't like the content. (laughs) You mean we can use our voice?
0: No. (laughs) No, you may not. You can't. The publication contained poems and autobiographical works that were often printed anonymously or simply with the author's initials. The mill owners held control over what was actually printed, so as you can imagine, each of the articles skewed positive.
1: Yep, you know, the pleasures of factory life.
0: Mm -hmm. In her essay, Sarah noted all the aspects of her job that she loved, her new friends, being able to learn new skills, even the potted plants that the women placed around the production floor to brighten up the place.
1: And probably to gather the lint so that they wouldn't breathe
0: it in. Yeah, put more air oxygen in the air. Control. Yeah, exactly. She also appreciated that the time on the floor allowed for thinking as they twisted, pulled, and plucked the looms. I'm going to pause for one second because I didn't know where to kind of weave this, no pun intended, into the story. <laughs> they weren't allowed to do anything but work, which is very obvious. But, like, they weren't allowed to bring in like papers of any kind like if they wanted to like read some bible verses or something on like their break they weren't allowed to do that but what they would do is they would sneak in individual sheets of paper at different stations okay and like some of them they would take entire like books like novels Mm -hmm. apart and then they would bring in like separate pages like every day so they could still like read a book for pleasure As they were working. So I thought that was kind of interesting that they would have, because like some of them were like learning a different language. Like some of them were teaching themselves French with these little cheat sheets that they would sneak into the building. And others were like learning German or practicing singing and things like that. So I thought that was kind of cute. Mm -hmm. In the early 1840s, factory owners sought to increase their profits as a recession loomed on the horizon. Uh oh. The already taxing and fast-paced schedules ramped up for the women, and the number of changes that were made during this time were extremely sexist. Unsurprising. Right. In one mill, for example, all wages were cut for the workers. But when the economy started to even out, the pay was raised back up, but only for the male overseers at the factory.
1: That still happens today, but sure. Okay. Yep.
0: During one of the speed-ups, Sarah was moved from the weave room to the dressing room, where she oversaw the starching of the warp threads that were used in the making of woven cloth. Another mill reduced its staff and tried to make the weavers be in charge of two looms at the same time. But that didn't go well. Nope. Mm -hmm. In 1842, Middlesex Manufacturing Company announced another speed-up and a 20% pay cut. In response, seventy women went on strike and ended up getting fired and blacklisted from being hired by other mills in Lowell.
1: That makes sense. All those all the owners have to band together.
0: Mm-hmm. Which sucks. Strikes that had taken place in 1834 and 1836 respectively garnered the same results. Unemployment and blacklisting. In eighteen thirty four, the mill cut the women's wages by fifteen percent when faced with increasing competition in the textile business. As a result, women marched between several of the mills to encourage others to join their cause, signing a petition that, quote, we will not go back into the mills to work unless our wages are continued, end quote.
1: Yeah. Could you, because would they even have enough money to bring home if it was cut 15%?
0: No, I don't think so. They would probably only have enough money to pay for their rent.
1: Right. Because. It would make sense that the companies would cut them just enough to make mm-hmm. sure that they could still live there.
0: Mm-hmm. Within a week, the strike was crushed by the managers, and the mills once again started production at full capacity.
1: Gross.
0: The strike of 1836, which also came about as the result of pay cuts and an increase in housing rates. Cute. It's so another negative, or yep. absolutely zero included over 1,500 workers and lasted for weeks before the board of directors of the textile mills finally relented and reduced the rent hike, allowing the women to return to work even with the pay cut. So they were just like, all right, we won't charge you more for housing. But we're still going to cut part of your pay.
1: That's so annoying.
0: Yeah. Novelist Charles Dickens visited the United States in 1842 and he was granted a tour of the vast factories in Lowell. Not only was he impressed by the working conditions that were vastly different from those over in the UK, but he also thought the Lowell offering publication was wonderful.
1: <laughs> great. So, did he have some more? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Please, sir, can I have some more? I love these offerings. They're great. Can I have another potted plant? I love these plants. In response to the layoffs and the wage cuts, Sarah and five other women formed the Lowell Labor Female Reform Association, or the LFLRA, in December of 1844. Sarah was voted president of the association, and not long after she was fired from her mill job.
1: Makes sense.
0: Yeah. You're leading us strikes against us? Mm, Okay, bye. Mm Mm-hmm. This gave her the impetus to focus all her time and efforts on reform, overseeing as association membership rose to over 600 women that all pledged solidarity with the largest union of the time, the New England Working Men's Association, or NUA. Nice. Sarah gave public speeches, one of her most famous against the Lowell Offering, accusing the publication of censoring worker dissent. What? That's not right. That never happens. Sarah served a three-year term as the association president, and during her time there, she led a number of projects, including the 10-hour movement in 1845, where she worked to reduce the workday from 12 to 14 hours down to 10. That would have been intense. A popular song of the day went as follows. Quote, if I must win my way, uncheered by hope's sweet song, God grant that in the mills a day may be but 10 hours long. End quote. The movement garnered 2,139 signatures in support of the proposal, even going so far as visiting the local prisons to see how long the inmates were forced to work. Spoiler alert, it was significantly less.
1: I bet, especially if they're
0: men. Yeah. The Massachusetts legislature finally agreed to review their complaints, but only if the mill girls agreed to speak in court. This probably doesn't seem like a big deal, but back then it was taboo for women to speak in public.
1: Yeah, especially, and if you think about it too, these women might not have told their families that they were participating in this. Mm-hmm. They could lose their fully lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. And hurt their families, embarrass their families. Yep. There's a lot
0: at stake. Yep. Sarah wasn't having it, though, and called the court's bluff when she and six other association members testified about the sickness, injury, curtailed leisure, and lack of sleep girls suffered working 12 to 14 hours a day. Nice. The court refused to reduce working hours. Cute. What a good look. The association went back to it this time submitting an appeal with five times the signatures, so around 10,000, the following year in 1846. They also defeated the re-election of a prominent member of the House that was unsympathetic to their cause. Nice. 1845 was a big year for Sarah, as she spoke at the first New England Working Men's Association convention, imploring them to vote on behalf of female workers regarding better labor. She also worked as a writer and editor for The Voice of Industry, which was founded in 1844 by NUA, the New England men's.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, the 10-hour movement spread throughout New England and the Mid-Atlantic, with states such as New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, and Delaware adopting the 10-hour workday in 1847. Although Massachusetts didn't until 1874. Nice. Of course.
1: Screw you, Sarah.
0: <laughs> yeah. New Hampshire was actually the first one to adopt it. And then a few more states followed after that.
1: Do you think it's because they're so small? Maybe. They were like, we only have one mill. <laughs> we're going to do it. We got one mill, and my wife's going <laughs> to beat me every night. <laughs> this bill.
0: 1846 was another busy year for Sarah and the association. They petitioned tirelessly around New England and she published her last piece in the Voice of Industry in October of that year. The workforce at the mills began to shift in the 1840s as Irish immigrants migrated to the U.S. to escape the potato famine. Thousands settled in Lowell following the Civil War, with many of the factory positions now going to non-Native men, women, and even children. By 1860, immigrants made up 50% of the factory workforce, but they were not provided with housing, churches, and the other services that the single Lowell girls were offered.
1: Of course. This happens in like every, yeah, booming place. As Mm -hmm. soon as you start getting more immigrants looking for a better life, you make it really hard and make it take forever before it gets better.
0: Yep. Sarah stepped down as president at the end of her first term in 1847 but continued to devote her life to women's rights and empowerment. She was hired as the nation's first female telegraph operator in 1846, working in Lowell and then Springfield, Massachusetts. She quit after learning she made less than her male peers. Nice. But, like, of course she was. She returned to Lowell and worked in the weave room at Hamilton Mill for five months, she continued to be a thorn in legislature's sides for a number of years, even after moving to New York in 1848 to work as a homeopathic doctor. Ooh, so she is a witch. Good for her. Despite the efforts of the association, the cotton mills in Lowell and Chicopee continued to advertise in the paper looking for women to work the mills. One broadside published in 1870 was looking for 75 women and read in part, quote, they will be paid a dollar per week and board for the first month. It is presumed they will then be able to go to work at job prices. They will be considered as engaged for one year, cases of sickness excepted. I will pay the expenses of those who have not the means to pay for themselves, and the girls will pay it to the company by their first labor. All that remain in the employ of the company 18 months will have the amount of their expenses to the mills refunded to them. End quote.
1: Nope, not good enough, gross by.
0: Yeah. Eventually Lowell's did reduce the workday to eleven hours. Hmm there you go. Yes. As for Sarah, she married fifty five year old James Durno on november thirteenth, eighteen fifty, who was also a homeopathic doctor, a Scottish immigrant and 11 years her senior. I really
1: hope that they, it was like a meet-cute, and they just like fell in love looking at (laughs) salts.
0: I hope so, too.
1: And soaps.
0: (laughs) The pair sold medicine and practiced in Albany, New York for several years. In the mid-1850s, they moved to Brooklyn and launched a company that made a cold remedy called Snuff for Catter, which is essentially mucus buildup that affects the nose, throat, or the sinuses. So they made like this stuff you yeah. would sniff. Yeah, <laughs> it's
1: so cute. She became an elderly hipster couple
0: mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. After her husband's death on June 22nd, 1871, at the age of 76, Sarah traveled for a while before returning to Philadelphia, where she passed away at the age of 83 in 1889. She is buried in Laurel Hill Cemetery with the rest of her family, and the pair had no children. Which that makes sense.
1: She did meet, meet him pretty
0: late. Yeah, she was 44 and he was 55 by the time they mm-hmm. got married. And who
1: knows, based on like the chemicals and stuff, she was consuming on a regular basis.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the Lowell Mill girls, just kind of the types of struggles they had to endure to make an honest living. And even still, Mm -hmm. like, it wasn't until much later that labor laws were really improved.
1: Right. And we're still facing similar problems today.
0: Yep. That was a similar thread, no pun intended, with all the articles that I read was like, this echoes a lot of the things that are still happening today. Right. With women in the workforce.
1: Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it is. Retaliation, what?
0: what? Fair wage, what? Huh? If you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on Buy Me a Coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material, become a member of our Patreon today for as low as a dollar a month. All they want is love, everyone else wants their fortune. Based on history, we discover the Great Depression through a set of actual heirs and heiresses as they fight off fortune hunters, greedy relatives, envious rivals, and scandals.
1: Would you be able to spot and resist a fake in your midst? How far would you go to gain a fortune? These interweaving stories reconnect the past and reveal new connections. Subjects include the Titanic, King Tut's Tomb, American Dollar Princesses, debutante balls, royal paramours, Ponzi schemes, sweetheart scams, love triangles,
0: bank failures, suicide, and so much more. The historical series, As the Money Burns by Nikki Woodard, is available at all podcast directories and the website,
1: asthemoneyburns.com.
0: And this week's podcast plug is As the Money Burns podcast, Ooh. written and produced by Nikki Woodard, As the Money Burns is an episodic deep exploration into the lives of actual heirs and heiresses to some of America's most famous fortunes and what happens when the Great Depression hits.
1: Ooh.
0: Yeah. Somebody's got to make
1: their own oatmeal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They're also part of the ASA Network, and we'll have a link to their show in the show notes. And this week's listener question comes from Sierra and Alicia of the Twisted and Uncorked podcast, and they want to know what has been the most rewarding part of podcasting for you two.
1: I think it's being able to consistently hang out with you every week. I mean, Mm -hmm. part of the reason why I was so excited to start this podcast with you when you had asked me was that it was right during the lockdown, the beginning of the pandemic, and I got to see your face and talk to you and interact every week when I wasn't seeing anyone else. Mm-hmm. It was completely isolated. And so not only did did I still get to see my sister, but I got to learn about fun stories and hang out. Seriously, Smooch. <laughs> She's like, Smooch's favorite is me? the fact that she gets to interrupt all the time <laughs> <laughs> and circle you to death. And if you're in the tent. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, she just sassed back. She's like, excuse you. I know English. This is bullshit.
1: She's like, that was one time. (laughs) I think that's kind of my favorite. Is the fact that we... It keeps us consistent and hanging out.
0: Mm
1: Mm-hmm. But you've made a lot of friends.
0: I've made a lot of friends in podcasting. Like, I have, like, three... Good friends that I've met in person Mm -hmm. now haven't murdered me, which is good. Yeah. uh, That's always the fear when you meet internet friends for the first time in person. Very true. They also didn't catfish me, which is also good. Also a bonus. (laughs) Also a bonus. But yeah, I've made a lot of podcasting friends, and these are all people that I never would have met without the podcast. So I would say that's pretty rewarding, is being able to make a bunch of Hopefully lasting friendships.
1: There you go. They all break up with you after this. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Then I'm like all by myself crying in the corner listening to REM. Reward this. (laughs) (laughs) On that sappy note, what's something good you'd like to share? Oh my God. I'm actually really excited.
1: I can provide an update next week. Maybe. Depending. I bought... Uh, yoga inversion swing mm-hmm. so it's essentially like a hammock indoors that you can use to like stretch on and stuff
0: because mm-hmm.
1: I really like doing yoga and pilates but especially with some of the poses my body especially now that I'm like anemic <laughs> yeah doesn't <laughs> and diabetic and has a hard time staying hydrated I need help When it comes to some of the poses, without like cramping and dying, so now I can use this piece of cloth and do some fun, like stretching to make my back better, so that I sleep better.
0: Cloth not woven by Lowell mill girls. No,
1: no, this is definitely like a synthetic. Yeah, that they would not have appreciated to making. I'm sure. But, no. I get it tomorrow, and hopefully we'll be able to put it up, and I can use it, and I'm super stoked. Nice. Yeah. How about you? That's something good? I have three short ones. I was thinking. Are you sure you don't want to save one of them? <sighs> Just in case this week sucks. <laughs> 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 I know that sounds terrible. But it's so true, right? Mercury's about to go in microwave soon. We, we gotta, we gotta hold on to what we love. Mercury's gonna go into microwave. <laughs> it's
0: Fuck your a insides! It's
1: all gonna burn. All
0: right, I'll just do two then. I'll save one. <laughs> so one of them is. So I went to the optometrist because I could tell my vision was bad. Yeah. And I ordered new glasses and I ordered the pair glasses. And they have nice. magnetic like frame things that you can add to your glasses. And I was able to order one that's sunglasses. Nice. So now when I go outside, I don't have to have prescription sunglasses. Yeah. And you don't have to have the transition ones
1: that like have a hard time detransitioning. Yeah. when you're back inside,
0: so everything's dark for like 15 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. And these are really cool. Like They're called called toppers. And so I only (laughs) ordered... Can hear the click? I know, you can hear the little magnetic click. So I ordered this one and my sunglasses one. And I liked them so much when they arrived that I ordered two more. And they're going to be here sometime this week. But I do have to go to get the frames like adjusted a little bit because it keeps sliding down my face but yay new glasses yay Yay, the fact that i can like start to see now from like things far away and two i finished that romance novel series that i was telling you about the one where i started the last book first yeah i had to go back and start the first one
1: (laughs) you're like what is happening
0: i'm like who are all these characters (laughs) that i've never met before and then i ended up starting the fifth book over again after finishing the first four just so i could make
1: sense full circle
0: so it was full circle it was good they weren't smutty so it wasn't as good as it could be but it was wholesome romance novels
1: is there enough fan fiction on the internet inspired by it that you could i read
0: enough other fan fiction that i don't need to have other fan fiction inspired by this that's fair that's what my tumblr's for (laughs) Yes, I still use Tumblr, and yes, I am almost 40 years old. <laughs> fuck off.
1: <laughs> Dang. And on that note, if you want to give us money, <laughs> do I've had it. i
0: think people make fun of me for being on Tumblr still, and I'm like, you know what? There are some really great fanfiction writers on Tumblr, so fuck off. Mm-hmm. Can't find them anywhere else. Nope. AO3 is a hot mess. Anyway. On that note, let's shut her down. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Tumblr rules. Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Facebook and Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. On TikTok? Of course you are. Follow us at yieldcrimepodcast a great way to support the show but you can't do so financially you could leave us a five-star rating and review on apple podcasts pod chase or good pods or wherever you can leave a rating and review this week's comes from our friend tom over on good pods tom is also a patreon supporter so double thanks tom nice and he says a review fine this is among <laughs> my favorites Listening to yield crime is like having a big bowl of mashed potatoes and gravy. It's comfort food for your ears. Aw. Gross. (laughs) I love you so much, Tom. (laughs) You know.
1: It's so good, but I just think of gravy in the ears. (laughs) And I
0: love potatoes in all of its various forms. So the fact that he compared our podcast to mashed potatoes makes me kind of happy.
1: No, it's great. I just think of gravy in the ears.
0: <laughs> how horrible would it be if, like, say some accident happened and you go in expecting blood to be coming out of somebody's ears and it's just gravy? Like, how freaked out would you be? Be like, do you drink water ever? <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be worse if you, like, were expecting someone to be, like, all bloody, but it's just gravy it's just... coming out of <laughs> <laughs> It's just somebody who's been keto for, like, 30 years. <laughs> If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, click the link in our show notes or in our link tree and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well, just of our Can You Crack the Cramp Word segments. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime.